0: The Wolf and Bull podcast was prepared, conducted, and hosted by the Wolf and Bull team in their personal capacity. This podcast is for expressive listening entertainment, and any views, ideas, or opinions may or may not extend past the boundaries of this podcast. Conversations or specific comments on behalf of the hosts and guests are for entertainment purposes only. Due to language and potentially offensive topics, listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to the Wolf and Bull podcast. I am the wolf and my co-host, the bull, is projecting himself through a funny little screen. Uh, We've decided that we're now an entirely remote podcast uh, going forward. Uh, We're just sick and tired of seeing each other in studio. It's just, it's too hard. Um, So we have to adapt to the popular uh, decisions these days. So everything is now going to be remote and through uh, a remote app. It's great. Uh, We have an incredibly special episode today with the founder of Digital Dispatch, the host of Cyberly on Freightwave, Co founder of the Jacks Podcasters Unite, board member of Transportation Marketing and Sales Association, creator of GuysGirl.com, owner of Brumleaf Brands, and known as the voice of the female sports fan. Welcome to the show, Blythe Brumleaf. Thank you guys so much for
0: having me. When you're reading off that long list, Mm I'm like, oh God, I know how to get hours back in my day now.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, was, I
1: had to long, rhyme it.
3: Lengthy list.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's great.
3: It's good. It's, it's, it's good. It's a good
1: thing. I, I hope to have as long a list as that one day. Um, but yeah, just before we get started for our listeners and our viewers, uh, just a quick reminder, if you like what you hear, then make sure to follow us on Instagram. You can also find us on YouTube and all of the major podcasting platforms. Additionally, we are making waves on the uh, relatively totally not communist platform, TikTok. Um, so you can find us there as well. Um, and make sure to hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. Blythe, before we jump into the monologue, I have to say you have quite a turbulent story, uh, yet one that I think, uh, think serves as a great beacon of hope for aspiring business leaders within any industry. Can you give our listeners and our viewers some insight into your story and who you are today?
0: Sure. So I started off with creating content online back in 2007. I was a I think was. I am a sports and entertainment fan, and I was frustrated because all of my close friends uh, didn't really like the same things that I liked. They didn't like going to football games. They didn't like um, Star Wars or, you know, playing video games or anything like that. So I started up a website to teach them how to like the things I like in an egotistical sort of way. Um, But then it was shortly thereafter that social media sort of started coming to life. I think Twitter launched in 2008. Facebook was a couple years before that. Um, So these different social media platforms started coming to life, and I discovered, hey, I don't necessarily have to teach my friends how to understand this stuff when there's already women that are online that appreciate the same things. So that's where kind of the idea started to create the site, guysgirl.com, um, which was really catered towards the female fan and giving the female fan a voice that wasn't, um, you know, covered in pink and in glitter. It, it was really, you know, giving the true sports fan um, a voice and giving the true, you know, entertainment fan a voice as well. Um, so that's where the idea for our guys Girl came around, and it was also, that's, same week that I started the blog was also the same time I started working at a 3PL, um, which is a third-party logistics provider. I was working as an executive assistant, and when my boss found out about my side hustle, he was like, "You should just take over all of our, you know, marketing and media and websites and and start doing this, you know, for us as well." And so, in 2008, 2009, I think I the 3rd year right. Um, that's when I really was sort of thrown into, you know, sort of the, just thrown into the fire of marketing and, you know, the concept of inbound marketing and creating those different strategies in a B2B world. I'd come from, you know, the B2C world. So I was kind of, well, I kind of had my foot in in both of those areas. And so working for 3PL for years, I was able to, you know, go to conferences and, you know, invest in learning of how to, you know, do all these different marketing concepts, you know, web development and all that good stuff. Um, so I partly got into a career. Um, so I started working for, well, unfortunately, back up. Unfortunately, that logistics company ended up closing down after five years. And so after that, um, I was kind of at a fork in the road, like, well, what do I do as far as career-wise? That's when I went to start working at a North Florida-based magazine, somebody suggested. Florida, so I went to work for them, became their editor-in-chief. And it was the first time that I really was surrounded by a creative team, so photographers and illustrators and graphic designers and writers. And that's where I really got a taste of what it's like to not only work at an agency, but also work at a magazine crafting different stories than what I was used to traditionally. Um, so I worked for that magazine for a couple of years, but um, also during that time. I was given an opportunity to work in radio for this, or I, I don't want to say strange reason. I never went to broadcasting school, but mm-hmm. I was known in the Jacksonville community as a huge Jaguars fan um, and you know a content creator in that regard. So I was okay. hired on to uh, co-host um, the first the show hosted by all women in the country. It's called and Hills, and it's still going strong here in Jacksonville, Florida, so I co-hosted that for... Five years, I also co-hosted the kickoff show, which appeared on January Game Days. Um, And then that kind of led back into me using all of this insight that I got from the sports and entertainment world and going back into the logistics world because I saw there was a real opportunity uh, for future growth versus Mm -hmm. the sports industry where you kind of have to be on like, you have to have the most outrageous opinions, you have to be the loudest, that's where I saw yeah. a lot of sports coverage sort of trending and it just didn't appeal to me but also the uh, being like a sideline reporter didn't appeal to me either I really wanted to be on camera you know doing shows and giving an opinion and that's where I still to this day there's a, a lot of women that are given sports roles or on-camera roles within the sports industry but they're mostly reserved to breaking news to moderating the panel to sideline reporting and that just frankly didn't interest me so there was more opportunity in logistics of freight in order to make content and so i saw a, a greater career trajectory in that area so I came back great yeah. started digital dispatch, and eventually led to you know more opportunities of course with great waves and cyber league also just released a, a maritime focus you know podcast series with fire maritime so it was really mm-hmm. like a, it's the past couple of years have been culmination of 10 years of yeah. blogging and social media work that has all sort of come to
3: fruition. Well, it seems That's like awesome. a lot of that is really ramping up as well. It's it's not like, you know, I've, I've thought about this for a little while because I've, you know, jumped into the, the logistics. Let's put some information, aggregated, curated, podcast, things like that out on our site as well. And it still feels like it's kind of at its mm-hmm. infancy. Yeah, you know, okay. maybe maybe teenager, not infancy, but it's it's coming into its own. There's a lot more things happening in the space, and I think you hit an interesting remark a few seconds ago, and you talked about marketing. I think you said it like two or three times, and in the entertainment space, the loudest voice, the most controversial subject, kind of turns into uh, you know some kind of a profit for who was ever trying to market that information yep. on the sports scene or whatever else. But in the logistics space, I know that, that it's a little bit different and I, but I think marketing first in your, in your, in your head is what's missing a lot with people online. They just think content, 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 but they've got to translate that into some product or service at the end of the end of the discussion, if you will. So very, very interesting. And you know, to be commended. You, you kind of, uh, you know, you, you talked about sideline reporters and, and females doing the moderation in sports world, things like that. Sounds to me like if, if you and, and your uh, companions were the first female uh, radio broadcast, I think you said, in the nation. I mean, you're you're like you're right at the forefront of this. That's pretty awesome. Yeah,
0: it was an incredible opportunity because you don't have too many women that are giving their opinions.
2: Online. Yep. And, you know, giving
0: your opinion online is, is challenging for some folks. I, I know there were certainly, you know, occasions that, you know, you're reporting on the Jaguars and you're giving your opinion on the Jaguars. And they haven't exactly been a good team over the last, you know, say, decade. You just beat the Colts.
1: Um, we, we, we're terrible. <laughs> you destroyed us. We were By good way, last year. Just, we're garbage. Just,
3: we, yeah, I've just done, you know, I'm done the wolf, watching. The Wolf like, I, is a Colt <laughs> fan.
1: So. I am done watching football Like I, I, We're going to bring in Matt Ryan He's going to be so good No, he's trash Absolute, absolute trash <laughs> Trash and, and, and So I might join the Jaguars I, I might just start watching you guys Because oh, wow. we suck Oh man, See,
0: Well that's the difference between like I, I think with a Jaguar fan And just knowing I, I feel like the, the losing Has just been so ingrained in us but mm. I would never, I would never say that I'm going to go
3: become, like, a Titans fan
1: or
0: something like that. I would rather just, you know, bury me in the dirt
3: before that would ever yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I honestly, like the- <laughs> yeah, I've been a Detroit it, it, Lions fan all my life. Oh, so, God, unfortunately, God, I'm in God. the same same basket as terrible. the Jaguar fans. It's <laughs> terrible. Well, and,
1: it's and I would never switch. Anything. I would never switch. Honestly, I would never switch. Like, I, I have been a Colts fan yeah, since I was a little kid yeah like heat of the moment like i remember when andrew luck retired the year i picked him on fantasy that there, like the day of he retired so i i just i just don't know what's going on i just think that the, there's like mercury is in retrograde or something <laughs> like I, I it's just it's not like it's just not our year it hasn't been our year ever like the last time it was our year is when we won the the super bowl with peyton manning so we're just not we're not good so, uh, I, but thankfully, you know, I can sit down. We can sit down, and we can talk about football. We can talk about the Jaguars, and we can all be friends because that's what that's what friends yeah, do. Exactly. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did you not notice? Did
3: you notice? Blythe's cup said nine hundred four <laughs> on it, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. dedication right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely.
2: I
0: don't know if people can see it, but yes, Very uh, good. a donut bar here in, in Jacksonville. The, the O is a, a donut. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's really ingrained in our culture, and it's one of those things where we expect failure now, mm-hmm. especially after last year in the Urban Meyer fiasco. Like, oh, as a yeah. franchise, I did not think that we could go any lower, and then that happened. Yeah. And you just there's only one way to go, and that's up. And it's been a a pleasant surprise, but it's also still like I'm very cautiously optimistic about this team. You know, Vegas. Mm-hmm. Even I, I learned a long time ago. To trust betting odds and not myself, so I yeah. still like I look to Vegas to tell me how many wins this team will realistically get this year. But you know, you just gotta hope that you know that you do get a chance at a franchise quarterback. And the Colts definitely have. I mean, you went from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck He won a Super Bowl. So it's like in the great things like you were luck highlight.
1: Yeah, we broke luck. He retired because of us. Okay, not specifically us, not the fan base, but because of, uh, what's his name, Chuck Pagano. And who was the GM? Do you remember the GM, Chris, at that time? Uh, uh no. wasn't Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard's I been should, pretty good. It was, but yeah, were... it
3: was. It was Ballard. Are you it sure? was Ballard, wasn't it?
1: No, I'm not. Uh... I think he might have came in. Um, he might have came in, but I, I know that Reich and Ballard are on the chopping block for a lot of fans right now. Um, and honestly, they should be. We brought in old man Rivers, and now we have older man Ryan. Hey, uh, and hey, they hey. can't. Don't old defend Matt Rivers Ryan. Was great. He He's just couldn't done. anymore. So same yeah. with Matt Ryan. They. It's like watching. It's, just, it's painful. It hurts. Well, it, the
0: quarterback is such a is such a difficult position to target. I mean, we know for sure. And we just yeah, hope mortals. that, you know, we haven't completely ruined Trevor Lawrence and just hope uh, that he is, you know, yeah. a fraction of what they say, you know, is a generational talent, yeah. once in a lifetime, we just hope. You'll, know, he
3: he's ready. Ready. You'll, You'll know, know he's ready. You'll know he's ready, ready when he cuts that. his hair that's that's when you will oh get out of here yeah, yeah, no he, he's he, th-
1: that's where <laughs> the power he, he comes plays. from he's care. like Samson he's like Samson his hair, power comes from his hair um, and there that's I, I don't I don't think you guys ruined him I, I think he's fine and frankly he came from I mean I followed him since high school same with uh, Justin Fields uh, Fields ironically enough uh, over time performed better statistically but hasn't gone to a better team um, I think the Jaguars are slightly better uh, than the Bears at this point in time um, but uh, I, I think he needs To have a year of getting the absolute, you know, (laughs) crap beat out of him because he's always won. He's always won, so it's good for one's character. Brought him back down, and now he's like, (laughs) I can bring, I can bring them to the next level. Like they're not going to do it for me. I'm going to change, change the team. And I think that you know, I think he, uh, I think he's he's learned a little bit, and I think he is that generational talent. So. Hopefully, the Colts figured out. I'll just watch from the sideline, envious of the Jaguars, uh, of actually having someone who can throw the football as
2: opposed to an elderly man. Yeah.
1: I wanted oh, Lawrence. Yeah. I thought we would trade up. I thought we would have at least attempted to do something for a franchise QB over the last few years, and we have done absolutely nothing. We just wait for the people who have the end of their careers coming, and we bring them to Indianapolis, because that's just how we do things. Oh, we Maybe are the dumpster fire. For
0: like 15 years. So yeah, like, yeah but that's I, a, think, I think that's the Wolf is
3: complaining a little too much, Blythe.
0: <laughs> when was, was the last time
3: he was much. on the Colts? He's not a Detroit fan. He's not a Jacksonville fan. He's an fan. I am, yeah. I,
0: I mean, am. honestly, uh, I don't want to say spoiled, but definitely going from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck is, is and I understand, you know, the, the frustration around Andrew yeah. Luck retiring, but my God, like, I just hope that Trevor Lawrence is a fraction of what Peyton Manning was, yeah. uh, a fraction of what Andrew Luck, you know, was. That mm-hmm. is my only cautiously optimistic. I mean, you know, I'm used to having terrible seasons, uh, but I just really, really hope yeah, that we think positive moving in the future.
1: Yeah, I think no, I think Lawrence is gonna be good. But uh, yeah, but on that note, should I jump into the monologue? Should I? Should we? Uh, should we yeah, jump into it? Yeah, well, absolutely. Okay. Cool. I normally have music with this, but I I don't have music today, so we're just gonna have to go with the uh, just the luscious sound. Of you want noise. me to
3: hum in the background, or uh, you could you yeah,
1: it could do like a, like sure. a Gregorian chant a little bit. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so let's jump right into it. American football, one of the greatest sports besides ice hockey that has ever been created. Not to be confused with soccer, aka football, a name that definitely wasn't copyrighted when Americans blessed the world with our game. Football has been around for a long time, with the first match, quote-unquote, between two college teams, Rutgers and Princeton, occurring on November 6th, 1869. Walter Camp, known as the father of American football, created a set of rule changes in the 1880s that have led to the sport and every rational uh, sports person, uh, That sport, every rational sports person has followed uh, today. That's a lot of changes, led to some amazing things. American football is the most popular sport in the United States in terms of broadcast, viewership, and audience. Over 1.1 million high school athletes and over 70,000 college athletes annually play football. The NFL has the highest average attendance of any professional sports league in the world, and the Super Bowl ranks among the most watched sporting events in the world. The NFL is currently on track to rake in a godly amount of money by 2027, $25 billion. And we can probably directly relate that success to Roger Goodell, who could potentially be the quote-unquote worst commissioner in history. According to a 2011 article from BleacherReport.com, Nearly every year that man experiences booze from the crowd at the NFL draft, and it's become almost a ritualistic reflex for good uh, for NFL fans to boo him in any situation. According to an espnation.com article from April of 2021, Goodell is the NFL's bureaucracy, public facing shill paid for by the owners, mind you. So he's going to bear the brunt of fan frustration. Americans tend to like to boo though it's almost as reflective to us as violently protesting taxes in fighting over mostly ethereal issues we create and in taking pizza at unsustainable rates we boo Gary Bettman every year at the NHL draft we boo NBA commissioner Adam Silver when he isn't being cool or bald enough and I would argue we'd even boo mother Teresa if she were still alive she had it coming anyway As football fans and fantasy football champions compared to the likes of NFL great Bill Bilicek himself in strictly fantasy terms, the Bull and I enjoy the sport and we think it has an interesting future ahead. That's why we brought on Blythe Brumleaf. someone who can potentially provide us with insight that the normal, not wolf and bull, fantasy football fans or football fans in general may not have. You guys like that? Was that nice? Mm -hmm. (laughs)
3: Very
2: nice, (laughs) very well done. Uh, I I think you're uh,
3: disparaging Mother Teresa a little bit, though. Yeah, well, you know what? About that, we should do a full episode. She was a pretty good football fan, if I remember correctly, from Calcutta or wherever she was she was hanging out. (laughs) Wow! (laughs) But I think it was the other football. It was football, not football, at the time over there.
1: I think my monologues no, no are just fear. becoming more fever dream based. It just it, it's it's there's a whole bunch of nonsense thrown into about a 30 or 45 second clip. And that's about it. So,
3: well, but no, you know, I you think it's funny, because I think Blythe got I, I don't know. I mean, you were probably always a fan, right, of, of sports and things. It sounds like from your from introducing yourself. But it sounds like you got kind of thrust into the spotlight to learn more about this than maybe you ever thought you would. I don't know.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I've always been a football and baseball and golf fan. Um, mm-hmm. I, it wasn't until I started working in sports. I did have when I when I worked in magazine. I left when I left the magazine was to go cover sports full time because I thought that that's what I wanted to do. And I ended up working from home, um, covering college football. And so there was a big learning for I didn't, I didn't you know, you know general college football. Living in Jacksonville, Florida, you know, we're surrounded by Florida State fans, Gator fans, of mm-hmm. course, uh, Georgia fans, um, and to some extent, uh, Miami fans. And so, but I, I never went to college in, in, you know, went to like a traditional university and, you know, did the whole like college. I still have, I've been to college football games. I had to think about that for a second. I've been to like a couple of Louisville games because some of my family's were Louisville. Um, so I've been to a couple of those games. But outside of that, it was really a, a giant learning curve. But I would almost say that working in sports tarnished my fanhood and tarnished my fandom, um, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the Jaguars, because when you work so, when you're when you go from being a fan and then you mm-hmm. go to covering sports and then you go to working with sports teams, you get to be behind the curtain and it's the corporate stuff that goes on, the toxicity,
2: um, you know
0: that. These are also employees working within these front offices that are you know they're they very um i guess driven is probably a good way to put it and uh some people not all of them of course some people will throw you under the bus they will steal your ideas they will claim them as their own and it is the corporate structure of the nfl that i grew to despise and when you when your fandom is you know exposed to that it really negatively affects it overall to the point where you know two years ago i hated this team and it was also i mean it was during covid so we didn't have really any sports in general um earlier in that year and what's kind of swept under the rug now and not a lot of people talk about is that jaguars ownership wanted to move another game to london and rumors Mm. were that they weren't that they were eventually going to move four of our home games to london and I just thought that that was a complete slap in the face by yeah. the ownership here within Jacksonville. And, you know, we were accepting of one game in London because it did increase the national or the global profile of the city of Jacksonville. It led to a lot of business, uh, businesses relocating here to town. Um, but I would say that, it, you know, working for sports, you know, in general, working for a radio station that was the official partner for the Jaguars really tarnished my fandom. My um, yeah. You know, you get those first opportunities to interview players, and that is such a rush. And I remember the first time I was within a foot of Maurice Jones Drew, and I could barely breathe. And it was one of those <laughs> moments where it was like, okay, you know, you, you got to get it together because you have a job to do. You have an interview to do. You can't, you, you have to find a way to turn the fan off. And I think that I got, you know, too close to turning the fan off. And treating, you know, my my voice was always the strongest as speaking for the fans. But when your fandom is attacked by, you know, I I say attacked, wasn't really attacked, Um, Uh, but it it was put in jeopardy. Um, Especially when you take another game from the home fans who have given so much to this team, and you can't win in Jacksonville, so you're just going to take another game from us. The only thing that we actually really enjoy the home game environment and being with our quote-unquote football family and tailgating, you know, all the things that go along with going to a football game, you were just going to take this for extra money. And that's yeah. where, you know, in the middle of working, you know, it, peeking behind the curtain and seeing what really, how the sausage is made, um, I would say really tarnished it. And I'm, I'm glad that I left sports radio because it's still, even now, I, I'm starting to get my fandom back. And mm-hmm. and that's where, you know, the love of the team uh, regardless of what the administration or, you know, the front office decisions or what some random person in PR yeah. has to say about
3: you. Well, that, that's, that's interesting. And I, I had heard multiple times that the Jags were trying to be set up to actually do a permanent move to London as, a, as kind of the first advance of <clears throat> the, the worldwide uh, expansion of the sport. And who knows what's going to happen in the future? Because as you said, there's a big business component to this, that as a fan, you kind of, you know what's there, but it's, you kind of ignore it. It's, you know, it's, it's the great Oz behind the curtain and you hope to mm-hmm. never learn who's really behind it. And, and people like yourself pulled back that curtain and went like, really, this is, this yeah. is what's back here. Not, not only is it not what I thought, it's a, a lot more, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And a lot of politics, a lot of politics. Yeah. I've always thought I mean, that that's in everything these days, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Um, almost too much. Uh, I I always thought that the NFL is kind of doing things weird uh, when it comes to their different teams. Uh, you know, I've always thought that we should adopt the uh, the football strategy and have different tiers. Um, kind of like the Champions League and the, the Premier League and all that, NFL being like the, I think the Premier is the top, so NFL being the Premier League. Um, and then, you know, if you're bad, you move down. I think that would make it interesting. I mm-hmm. think we'd see more players. Yeah. I think what? that we'd have opportunities for new teams. I, I think moving teams from the uh, United States <laughs> to, to to overseas, That's I don't think so it makes cool. a lot of sense. Yeah, I don't think it makes a lot of no, sense.
0: it doesn't. As, I'm 1,000% against it. And I, I agree. It, I, 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 as someone who you know, had our franchise sort of dangled in front of us for LA for years, and now it's London. It's just one of those things where it's, you're doing this to communities and fans who mm-hmm. don't deserve this, that are not gonna reap any kind of benefits from this. We are essentially, you know, paid subscribers to a team. And a lot of us, it's, it's more than just that. It's the community around it. we've been tailgating in, mm-hmm. in one spot for more than 25 years. The people that have come to that tailgate, I have seen them grow up. I have seen them have children. I have seen some people, you know, they get too old to go to the games, but they still send their well wishes, their best wishes. Um, I've seen tradition. And and this is where, you know, sports is so important because it creates that family. It creates that camaraderie. It creates that that sense of tradition. And to, to be on the other side of it and to see what kind of decisions are being made that completely forsake all of those things, I'm just vehemently... Against moving teams in general, you know, God if I was a St. Louis fan, oh my God, like I would be, I would, I would be part of that lawsuit yeah. that's currently trucking to, to sue the pants off of the Rams for for choosing to leave a city after you know dangling the franchise in front of them. I, I think that so, it should be abolished, and there should be some kind of a, a hierarchy, some kind of a system in place, like the Premier League, where you have you know teams that are regulated and, and teams yep. that. Are given, you know, the the benefit of the that, the benefit, of, the doubt, but the benefit of, of making those good franchise decisions. There is there is a reason why the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens and the Green Bay Packers these franchises are run like good businesses, but also entrenched in the community. And mm-hmm. to me, that's not promoted enough. Being entrenched in the community and caring about your community. Yeah. Simple, yeah, that's, that's a part
3: of it. it's it's an interesting perspective. And uh, I've lived on the West Coast for. Most of my life, even though I grew up in Michigan, and being from San Diego in the L.A. area, you know these giant markets they they control a lot of a lot of power. I, I could complain all day long about good old what Chargers NFL did to San Diego recently. I don't even want to. I am still upset with that. But then then you go drive by SoFi Stadium and you go, okay, I, I get it, I get it. And if you are from San Diego as a as a taxpayer, you are like, do I really want to pay for this, or do I want to go to the beach today? You know, that's kind of the decision that's made. So, so I I get it from a business standpoint, but there's, to your point, I think there should be kind of ceilings or limits on what you can do. And there should be the, the long view from the business side that you're trying to entrench yourself in a community for 50 years, not five. Mm -hmm. Right. And and you, if you've been tailgating in the same spot for a long time, it's, that's, that's pretty incredible. And and there are a lot of places now where you can't even tailgate. Yeah, there's, there's no place to tailgate. And if you do, you you, know, you, know, you you don't break out the barbecue and the beer, and you can't throw a football because the police are right there watching you. Every I mean, it's it's kind of crazy these days. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know where it's all going, but the big business aspect of it, plus all the money comes from from the, the cable nice. stations and the online streaming and everything else, not from the. Not from you and I going to a stadium anymore. I don't think. Well, it comes from
0: viewership yeah, as well, though. So
3: I mean, if it go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say it's really from the TV contracts. So that's what
0: they Yeah. Money. And merchandising. Uh. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's, merchandising it's, it's, as well. It's.
1: I think it's unfortunate. Go ahead. Man. I think I think it's unfortunate because it's it's like same thing like you could say about the Chargers, the Colts. I mean, like I've been a Colts fan since I was. 11, 11 years old and I have never lived there, which is weird. I'm one of those, 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 uh, I saw the first football game, uh, when I first football game I ever saw was Peyton Manning throwing football on TV, he was playing the chargers and I was just not at that time interested in Drew Brees. Um, so, uh, I, uh, I was a huge Peyton Manning fan that eventually got me into football, but I, I, yeah, I don't know what the, uh, I don't know what the corporate strategy is when it comes to American football. Um, the details there are probably outside of my purview with that being said, I really wish there was more of a cultivation of culture from some of these teams. It's just it's same thing with how they treat their players. I mean, you've got someone like Trevor Lawrence, who's a franchise QB. I'm not going to debate that. He's one of the most celebrated college QBs, along with Joe Burrow and Justin Fields. These people were like uh, unbelievable in college, and they're going to be very good if taken care of in the NFL. And for some reason, a lot of teams just kind of either really build the structure around that player which it seems like they're doing in Jacksonville or they uh, choose not to build the structure and you got a situation similar to uh, what's going on with Aaron Rodgers where he has uh, a bunch of uh, just shadows to throw the football to this year because he has no wide receivers (laughs) Um, so it's just it's interesting it's very interesting to see those those strategies as time goes on and I think that uh, if we did something similar to uh, you know the the premier leagues and the champion leagues and actually build a culture within those cities for football then not only would there be a storied historical aspect of things that would bring more people in, but also it would make things more interesting. You know?
3: Well, what is the uh, the rookie contracts are four years now, right? So mm-hmm. a lot of these guys, is it three or four? I can't here, it, I remember.
0: It should be three years and then like the option to pick oh, up the fourth and there day. you
3: go. Mm-hmm. So these these like Jacksonville, their their cap and their spending right now for the next two two more years probably mm-hmm. is everything surrounding their QB because they still have a cheap enough contract with their QB to get something done. And they have to get far into the playoffs or develop enough uh, structure around this guy to compete on a regular basis, or they, they're they going to end up looking for another QB in three more years. That's kind of the way it's been going lately. I hate to see that, but that's what happens. I mean, the days of being with a, with a team for your entire career, are, they're just over. They just mm-hmm. don't happen anymore. So...
0: And I think, too, that the coaching change has been such a dramatic impact. But uh, mm-hmm. Having Doug Peterson here in town has been such a... There, there was such a turmoil when the Urban Meyer fiasco happened because Urban Meyer was brought in after a period of almost complacency. complacency. And I would say that we had Doug Marone for years and after having Gus Bradley for years. You know, Gus Bradley was a very, like, a positive kind of guy and a raw, raw kind of guy, but in reality, you you know, some of that tough love, too. And then Doug Marone was on staff under Gus Bradley, and so Doug Marone was kind of just brought in as, you know, hey, let's, you know, give him a shot for a year, and it ended up turning into several years. And so after the, you know, sort of complacency wears off with Doug Marone, then, you know, as shot caught the owner of the Jaguars, chooses to swing big, and I, I admire his decision to swing big, and go after something like an Urban Meyer. I just did not, and I, I think that everybody involved in the process did not see it crashing and burning as drastically as it did. And I'm going from that in having a situation where we had almost a, a really intense battle between somebody like a Doug Peterson and then Byron Lefkowitz, who used to be quarterback with the Jaguars, He was, a, I think he was selected in the top 10, maybe he was the 11th pick years, uh, years ago in, in Jaguars franchise history. Um, but he went on to be the offensive coordinator in Tampa. I think he is still the offensive coordinator in Tampa under Tom Brady, of course. Um, so he was campaigning hard to be the Jaguars' head coach. And one of the issues that we had is that you can't. It's very a. It's very difficult to go home and to take the franchise to the next level. But I remember Doug Peterson. He said after the, the 2017, when they went to the Super Bowl, it was like 2018. What we call the 2017. So the Eagles went to the Super Bowl to play against the Patriots, and that was the year the Jaguars went to the AC Championship game
2: and were leading
0: with 10 minutes left in the AFC Championship game. And you know, Tom Brady, of course, does, is, is, does his Tom Brady thing and ends up beating the Jaguars. But John Peterson later wrote that in his book that he watched that game and noticed how the Jaguars took their foot kind of off the neck and took their, their foot off the gas pedal and how he chose not to do that during the Super Bowl, and that's what led them to winning. And Mm -hmm. so being able to have somebody like that as a head coach who's experienced who's been in those high-intensity, you know, decision-making situations like a Super Bowl, that was extremely important to me to have that level of experience. Because as a franchise, we've never really had that. And hopefully, you know, with his quarterback skills, quarterback coaching skills, that will lead to you know hope for Trevor Lawrence fact, I I really have been fearful well, for a while that Urban Meyer essentially ruined him. Can't, you can't know, when you're kicking players who are already injured and when you're yeah. you know hanging out with women who are not your wife and you're and no, it's just poor decision making. You can't even he, He's in, just... in certain press conferences. He couldn't remember all players' name. Yeah, like, what he's hell? just Who the. Are we doing here?
1: He's the Adam Levine of football, you know. Uh, I just he's <laughs> <laughs> he's just that. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Trevor got a taste of college again. It's all
3: right. It's good. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, get him uh, out of
1: here. It's not
2: okay. Yeah. Well, and, and Peter,
3: <laughs> Peterson is a Peterson's a really good coach. I I honestly don't understand Philly. I mean, think of the mm. last two coaches they got rid of. I mean, one is parentally in either the super bowl or the AFC championship and you mm-hmm. watch Jacksonville's going to have a run.
0: I mean, I it, you know, anything
3: them. can go wrong. You can get somebody hurt and things can change and all that kind of stuff. But I think your, your spot in that tailgate spot is uh secure for some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> well,
1: yeah, I mean, we've touched on it a little bit, but uh, obviously, you know, American football is a pretty male dominated field um, with about of football players being women, while the other 97% are men. Um and obviously this is, this is kind of segueing into one of our topics, but as of May 2022, according to Statista.com, the level of interest in the NFL in the United States by gender is pretty heavily skewed. Uh, on the male side of things, 46% of viewers consider themselves avid fans, 30% consider themselves casual fans, and 24% of males are not fans at all. How dare you, 24%? On the female side of things, though, uh, 21% consider themselves avid fans, 35% consider themselves casual fans, and 44% are not a fan at all. Blythe, with the genders basically being inversed when it comes to interest levels, what do you think can be done to level out the field and bring more interest to the game?
0: Well, I mean, I've covered some of these stats before, and so I would, uh, trying to do the math in my head, it's like, what, more than 40? Last I heard, it was somewhere around 44, 45% of uh, all fans within the NFL are female, and I. That that's a great day um, you know there's uh, there's a level of I would say almost craziness to be an avid fan especially an avid fan of a cleansing team uh, yep. but I think that it really it just depends on the market that you're in because where I'm from for example Jackson Florida we face a lot of the similar issues that the San Diego crowd faces you have great weather you have the beaches you have so many different things to do that are that are capturing your attention where should you spend your time and invest your time and money? And for a lot of people, time is the, the the bigger investment versus the money aspect. And so for a lot of fans, I see them moving more towards, male or female, I see them moving more towards being a casual fan, watching games on the go. Um, you know, before, I would swear, don't send me a wedding invitation during football season. And I have completely flip-flopped on that. I, you know, I, I had a... It's kind of a sad sad story, but I have a girlfriend who got married, had a huge wedding, and she had it in November. And I said, that's Jaguar season. I'm not going. Um, Because she she had her wedding on a Sunday. And now to think back to it, I don't even know what game I missed, but I remember missing her wedding. Um, So it's making those different decisions on what's important in life and what isn't. And sometimes I question Like, you know, is this all worth it? Like, is being a super diehard sports fan worth I really question that. And I think the last two years have uh, kind of affected that as well, just because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of BS going on with sports, especially during COVID. Right. Um, you know, it, it, teams are playing, they're not playing, players that can play, that not play. Um, just a, a lot of just craziness that went on. Plus, you know, the, the, Attempt by our ownership group to move another home game to London, it really put me in sort of like an identity crisis
3: of
0: how I was going to evolve my fandom. Now I'm a little bit more okay with, you know, not revolving the entire work day or the entire day um, around the Jaguars. I would still say, you know, tailgating is still an enormous time that, you know, uh, for example, last Sunday was our home opener. So it was a one o'clock game. So we're busy like prepping food and all the supplies on saturday and then we get to the tailgate spot at 9 9:30 a.m that you tailgate until the game starts and then after the game you can't really leave right away because traffic is so bad so you end up spending the majority of your weekend centered around a football team and sometimes i do think like well what could i do with that time back and instead you know all the things that i could accomplish but at the same time like it's still You know, on a Sunday like that, where you do get a win. And, you know, we've had, what, four wins, five wins over the last two years. Um, (laughs) So, you know, that sort of starts to bring it back. So winning... Two I of those wins were call against call
3: Indianapolis, off. by the way. Yeah, why do you why do you have to do that? Why do you have to
1: do that? Uh, dare I you know remind what, though, you that I we would... beat you in the playoffs when we won the Super Bowl? So <laughs> I don't want to have to. Do I don't that. remember being on the. You field. were on the Chargers, oh, wow. yeah. You, you know? were on the
3: Chargers, yeah. I was on the Chargers. Okay. You were the safety. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's weird. It's really yeah. strange. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was I was the bull in the background, is what I was. Yeah. But you yeah. know what, Blayth? I bet you though. When the Jags go to the playoffs this year, your avid fan uh, caliber will be turned up a little higher than it was previously. Sure. <laughs> but
0: because I can, I can tell you from the 2017 experience that I, you know, I had all these. Say, I, I near quit radio that season of that year because we had a couple players in the August of that season. One player retired that we traded for. Um, was it uh, Brandon Albert or something? Like I think it was Brandon Albert, but. Anyways, he retired in the month of August, and he was supposed to be our free agent signing. Divers um, right. historically like don't develop players all that well. Um, a lot of them we just let go or trade away. Um, Jalen Ramsey is a, a famous one who just got so sick and fed up with this franchise that he demanded a trade and faked a back injury in order to make it happen. So that's what's happening with players that come to this yeah. franchise. And I hope. That is going to be better, but I think I've just been burned so many times in the past that I'm just i mm-hmm. I'm,
3: I'm, I'm going to go into each game with the hope that we will win, but the expectation that we will lose. Do you think that the NFL in general has seen the same thing you kind of alluded to, where the fan is becoming a more casual instead of an avid fan? And I and where I'm going with this is, you know, sports betting is almost ubiquitous now. You can do it anywhere. Anytime. time, heck, heck, we have a we have a franchise in Vegas now, which I thought they'll never happen, right? And we we have that now. Do you think that part of the reason for those kind of eventualities is to create more attention to the game? That maybe those casual fans, you know, if they, if they got a few dollars bet on something, or if they're into the fantasy side of things, now they become avid again.
0: I think that fantasy has is has directly led to gambling, sports gambling being legalized. I mean, it was essentially gambling anyways. And it was a way, you know, going back to you know the reasons why I started a blog, I, I also had an all-girls fantasy football team or fantasy football league um, for like 12 years now, 11, 12 years that we had this league in existence. And that was the way that my friends learned about more team or more players on other teams. Besides the Jaguars, so most of them were all Jaguars fans, but then they moved into learning more about other teams because of fantasy football. So I think it's definitely almost like a gateway drug, um, yeah. sports gambling, in order to have a little yeah. you know action on it. But I still think that, especially when it comes to sports betting, like as as big of an NFL fan that I am, I rarely bet on sports. Rarely, I, mm. I if I were to, and I'm, but I'm also not the biggest gambler, so I might just be. You know, I, I'm the type of person that loses $30 at a slot machine and swears to never, you know, play yeah. a slot machine again. No, I relate. <laughs> I get it. So yeah. I'm, I, I'm not the biggest gambler in that aspect of, of you know, I guess the gambling conversation. But when it comes to sports, that's where I do feel like I have, you know, more of a knowledge base that I could earn some extra cash. But I just, I don't see a lot of casual fans navigating to betting. I think that mm-hmm. it's more for the die diehard fans. In order to, you know, make other games more enticing outside of fantasy football, um, I think fantasy football is almost like the level one of sports gambling, where like the legitimate sports gambling, your over unders and um, all these random bets that you can take during a game. You know, how long someone sings a national anthem or something like that. Like that, those kind of sports betting, I think, is um, more for the avid fans because you really have to have that insider knowledge in order to make educated guesses. So unless a, a major platform makes betting stupid easy for, for folks like myself to do it, I, d- I don't know that I see it. I see it as a, an additional revenue stream for the NFL, a big revenue stream. you know, might even get to the point where it's as lucrative as some of these TV contracts or some of these streaming contracts. I don't see a lot of casual fans taking mm-hmm. up sports betting.
1: Now you know it's interesting you bring up fantasy football. Obviously, you know that's something that uh, tons of people are getting involved in more and more every year. And unfortunately, I feel like it's kind of taken me away from being an avid fan. Uh, I used to enjoy watching (laughs) the Colts play, and now it's more like I'll catch the highlights on YouTube or I'll catch the highlights on ESPN. Um, and and frankly, fantasy kind of requires me. Uh, at least in years past, I'm not doing it this year. adamantly not doing it this year to watch games about teams that like i just don't care about and and i feel like it's kind of done an inverse for me where i've never been one to gamble either i consider fantasy football probably the only form of gambling that i do um but i i wonder if there's a net positive or net negative associated with fantasy's involvement with sports um you know obviously there's basically sports betting, and 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 obviously the rate of gambling problems among sports bettors is at least twice as high as gambling problems experienced by other gamblers. So, would you consider fantasy football as having a positive like net effect or a negative net effect in your opinion when it comes to you know general impact on sports when it comes when it comes to football? Actually,
0: I mean that's a really good question. I, I would still so the height. I think we are either we're probably a little bit past the height of popularity when it comes to fantasy football. Okay. Um, I, all, and I could just go off like anecdotal evidence. I used to play in six leagues. I, that, the idea of that sounds atrocious. Dear God.
3: <laughs> six <laughs> leagues. Six.
0: You don't even know, you know oh. you, you name a player. He's probably on one of my teams. You have no idea <laughs> who is on your squads, you know, managing them effectively. It's kind of just a spray and pray approach right. to fantasy football. Um, now I'm at two. And I feel good about two. With that said, (laughs) I really only enjoy the draft. The draft is super fun because they're based together and they're talking crap and stuff like that. But after the draft, I it's it's another job. It's, yeah. You have to watch a sit still. Oh, with six teams? Yeah. He would do it. Have it have feels like a, okay. another job. I have to do you roster You probably had a spreadsheet
3: and, with all your players on it and <gasps> picking them. That it's, that's that's crazy. I have stuff. secondhand yeah. PTSD. <laughs> uh, I, I have secondhand PTSD saying you had now, six teams. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, okay, that that's goes crazy. You should. You said you didn't like uh, slot machines, but six teams? That's some serious betting right like We're talking there. about this like it's some sort of...
2: Course.
3: <laughs> hey, he now, by the way, now would be the time to mention that in 12 years, I have of s- seven championships. So okay, you? It
1: you. It's not singular. Well, I've us, been on your well, team. Well, some of so, them you were on my team, but uh, I some, did it some. Soul, solo. Okay. Uh, solo, yeah, okay. He, so the Bull has a habit of doing this where he just kind of forgets that I've been on his team for five years now. Um, and, well, so and the reason we did this... The- Take the, the credit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone's gonna take the credit, and I'll do all the work. Um, the the reason, oh, oh, <laughs> the reason, reason I bring this up, uh, and the reason we even joined teams is because uh, you know, his his daughter uh, Beowulf, who's a freaking guest on the show, is my wife. So you know, we had a point in time where we were watching uh, football, and I said, well, let's join the fantasy league. We'll join teams. I don't want to manage one by myself. And then uh, you know, uh, emotions got heightened. The bull kept taking credit for all the victories, and I said for one year that I would go and do my own thing, and I did. And that was the year that I drafted Andrew Luck and was terrible and was last in the league. (laughs) And now I've decided to never, ever leave his team because he put a voodoo curse on me. So, uh, yeah, but I I would not be able to function if I had six teams. That's, you know, were you drafting Hall of Fame players? It's it's insane. It's just one of those things where
0: like, you know, and that's why I think that, you know, the height of fantasy football has sort of dropped. And yeah. Because there is sort of a, I remember in 2020 we just did like an auto draft for our league, and I remember it being, you know, even though it was such a stressful year, and football was kind of back, but you know, no fans in stands and things like that. Uh, it was just such a weird season, but it was also kind of refreshing to not have a fantasy football team to worry wow. about, yeah. and stress about, because it really is like another job that you have to deal with. In addition. Too the long game days and prepping for you know home openers and things like that. It's it's a and if, if you're a college football fan and an NFL fan, it's, if your weekends are done until yeah. February. It, it's it's a complete like it dominates your life. And I think that there have been strides that have been made in recent years to you know allow more remote like on the go viewings. And I think that that's really helped draw in more casual fans. But I also think that it's helped avid fans you know be okay with kind of you know not dedicating their entire weekend to right. sitting in front of a TV. I can watch See. the clips on social media. I can, you know, yeah. for a Saturday in you know, college football, I used to parked in front of the TV from 8 a.m. to 12 a.m. and of course it was, you know, because I was also covering college sports at the time too, but that would just be your entire day is done. It's inside. You're eating like crap. Like. It's just it's not, Uh it's, it's not, You eat? I I starve really myself.
1: <laughs> I don't eat at all during you game
3: know. day. <laughs> it's
1: like stretch eating
2: maybe.
3: <laughs> yeah. You know what's kinda interesting about uh fantasy in general though? I think it's it's created a situation where you're fans of individuals instead of mm-hmm. the teams now. And yeah. I, I don't think that's horrible thing it it gave me some interest in other teams that I wouldn't have watched otherwise but I think it's also swung the the individual players into kind of a powerful position within their organizations and one of the things I know Blythe with with your background with the Jags and sports in general I think you've probably seen or maybe have context in how the the players have been able to, to, number one, use social media platforms to reach out directly to their fan bases, which are hugely expanding, but also use that as a lever in their careers
0: mm-hmm. in a
3: way they've never been able to do before. Yeah, 100%,
0: because traditionally what you've seen is that Reporters and journalists will develop relationships with players. They go into the locker room, they're down at the stadium each day, they're they're building those relationships over time. And some of the, I guess, you know, even like former players, they were, especially the savvy ones, knew how to use the media in a way that would benefit them not only during the season, and I don't want to say use them, but you know, use that, yeah. You, know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Um, so you, the, the reporter needs a good story. You give them a the good story, and then in the off season, or you know, whatever you're retired or something, and you need you're involved in several different you know, entrepreneurial activities. That you need somebody to spread the word, need some radio time. That's where the journalist would come in and really help shine a light on what those additional activities, you know, that that player was involved in, and also from you know just a, a story perspective. But then it started to transition a little bit where started to abuse that relationship. When I when I talk about developing those relationships with players, this is, you know, in the, in the 80s and the 90s, and when it comes to like the 2000s, you see sort of the transition more into, like, clip baiting or what a lot of folks would call, like, the clip baiting material, where you start having players that are having their quotes used against them, and I remember early on being taught, and I, I learned this from Dan Patrick, he's my, my favorite sports broadcaster of all time, um, and he's been I think these sort of beacon into how you should structure a sports career if you were to pursue that path. And so, with Dan Patrick, he was really the first one to sort of shine a light on taking audio clips or video clips and putting them out of context. And he would say, Well, well wait, you know, what was said before you saw that clip? What was said after you saw that clip? He's like, That's where he would find the opportunity in the story um, yeah. to dig a little deeper and, and provide nuance these discussions, whereas, you know, reporters in, you know, say the 2000s were using these quotes and using these, you know, a 30-second clip or a 10-second clip to take it out of context, take the player out of context, and the, the players were starting to get burned by this. And so they would, A, stop speaking to the media, or B, get, you know, the, the media training and get the coach speak answer or the players speak answers, which are usually just very bland and boring and they don't really have a lot of substance. But right. now, with the invention of social media, these players don't have to necessarily talk to reporters anymore and if they do talk to reporters it's more of the situation where um, the reporter is going to play ball or you're not going to get anything and then it's also uh, coincided with the teams now a lot of teams, I think every team now has their own internal media department and so when player interviews are granted they're not necessarily granted to the local journalists and the local interviews and the people who have developed those relationships they're going on to the, the state-sponsored media and they're going to give those state-sponsored answers to the questions that have probably been set prior. And so the, the player knows how to answer them. And if anything is said that's slightly out of context, they're just going to edit it out anyways. Yeah, and yeah, and I- so you have this hierarchy of media now within sports that you have to toe the line. And if you fall outside of that line, then you don't get media opportunities. You don't get opportunities to interview players. And so players now are, are sort of put in this tough position where they legitimately have friendships with some of the reporters in the journals, and they want to get interviews to them, but right. the teams, because they have their own internal media departments, won't allow it. Um, well,
3: I would imagine they they probably, I'd, I'd imagine they probably have uh, contacts, um, or not contract, contacts, contracts. excuse me, that basically say you these are the parameters for how you converse with the the media and what you will do and what you won't and i'd imagine people coming right out of college the trevor lawrences and people like that i mean ultimately these people are entertainers in a different sense but they're entertainers so it's not unlike uh as a as a for instance it's not unlike disney right? Disney Channel has agreements with their, their people that are on their shows that they, they have a certain protocol they follow, they have a certain way they relate to the, the public, etc., 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 including social media. So it's it's interesting to me to how, I guess if you're a veteran player, you can go around a lot of this. But if you're not, you probably have to toe the line, I, I would think. It's,
0: it's all about talent. Talent and seize your baggage, then can pretty much do whatever you want. I a perfect example of that is Jalen with the Jaguars. He got away with so much stuff, simply because he was a talented player. Um, and we are willing to look completely past you know, some of the antics that he did. Um, but he had, you know I could make an argument that some of those antics were, were justified and that he was right to, to do some of these crazy things in order to get out of his contract with the Jaguars in order to go to a winning organization. Um, I, I think it really just depends on your talent, and if you have you know, that talent labeled on you, I think that there's a, a common, uh, or not common, but I've, I've heard broadcasters say, like, Aaron Rodgers could go and declare his support for Al-Qaeda, and he would <laughs> still have a job in the NFL.
2: Yeah. It's because he yeah.
0: Had his talent exceeds baggage. You get to the point where your talent does not, or your baggage exceeds your talent, it, it's over for you. I mean, you can say whatever you want, but it's going to have other consequences that are unforeseen. And unforeseen meaning you're probably going to lose your job. You're probably not going to get a really great contract the next time around. Um, and so you, you, I guess you burn more bridges than you make
3: whatever. Right, mm. right, right. Yeah. Mary, it's, hey, Wolf. what's what, interesting. What do, you think, what do you think about the, um, the use of of the social platforms that are out there, though. Twitter probably is the one it's kind of like a cesspool for for anybody, And I, I I think that's the one that predominantly sports individuals have used over the course of the last decade, you know, to, to get out their information rightly or wrong. And of course they can't retract that either. So -hmm. it's not like you're talking about where something's with your Dan Patrick example, where something, a clip is taken out of context. If, if player a tweets Mm -hmm. out, whatever they're going to tweet out, I mean, it is what it is. they, they They're the ones that tweeted it out, and they have to yeah. either, you know, come clean with that or uh, let people know what they really meant at a time. But what what do you guys both think of, of these platforms and their usage? Because, Blythe, you're an expert at utilizing different platforms for business purposes, and ultimately we're talking about whether you're an individual, you're marketing yourself. Whether you're an NFL team, you're marketing yourself. you're a logistics company, you're marketing your process, your service, your your um, product. What do you guys think about the usage of this and where it's headed? Blath, I'll let you go first.
0: Sure. Um, so I think as far as Twitter is concerned, I have seen fewer athletes use it and focus on it. Um, I would say Instagram is probably when it comes to the NFL, I would say Instagram is probably the number one use platform. Twitter is like you said, it's a toxic place. You know, there's a reason why, you know, sort of things that make you angry appear more often on that platform. And that goes for athletes, too. I have seen so, and this is in of course, but I've seen so many instances of, because I'm still, you know, I follow a lot of sports people and from all different markets. Um, I see a lot of times that players will search their name after a game and find all the people that said something bad about them and then block them. <laughs> yeah. It's just such a strange thing to do to seek out what other people are saying about you, but it's also used as a motivation tactic. You know, so and so doesn't believe in me, so I'm going to use this as motivation on the field. So it kind of works in two different ways. Um, I, I still think, though, that involving the opinions of people who don't necessarily matter or who, who don't know you is just such a flawed strategy. Um, but I, I would say that it's still you know, from a marketing standpoint, that a lot of these players now are getting the training from, you know, their own agents that are training them on how to use these platforms to the best of their advantage. And that's really where I think all of us could kind of take a lesson, no matter what industry you're in or, you know, whatever you're promoting, is to use social media to your advantage, Don't no let social media use you. And I think that that's for a lot of young players who haven't had that formal training yet, especially in you know, sort of the college environment, you're you're seeking negative information out is going to be a bad time for you because ultimately, you know, fans are short for fanatic. And it's not necessarily something that you want to take to heart with a lot of uh, in-game emotions or post-game emotions. And so I think a lot of players could do well by just ignoring social media, but it's also a big part of how we do business and how we interact. So using social media better and finding the time to use it when you're not in those emotional moments, when you're in those emotional states, I think could be best served I think for a lot of fans and athletes in general.
1: Yeah. I have to agree. I think social media, obviously, Blythe. If you listen to any other episodes, I have a bias against social media—a uh, very extreme one. Um, I, you know, I have a background in digital marketing uh, from a corporate perspective, so I understand what goes into, you know, what's needed to get attention to things and all that jazz. Um, at the same time, I see social media right now, when it comes to celebrities and athletes, as kind of a kind of like what I would imagine uh, the unlimited uh, credit card limits were in the 70s for college kids. Um, It's something that if used correctly can be a benefit for most people don't use it correctly. Um, And to your point, I do think it makes sense to teach these individuals how to use it. I frankly think it would be better just to have a team of people from the company that the team itself actually manage those platforms instead of having individual access. But then, you know, comes in the argument of like, you know, autonomy of image and all that jazz when it comes to the celebrity that is the athlete, Um, I think that social media generally provides a negative distraction for players. And frankly, I would say the same probably goes for fantasy football. Um, I listened to a recent um, interview with Austin Eckler after his uh, disastrous first week. We have him on our team. Uh, He had a disastrous first (laughs) week from a fantasy perspective, and he went on an interview and said, hey, yeah, we got a full season. Don't worry about it. Had a better game week, two. Does he really need to do that? No, he doesn't. And should he really do that? I don't think he should. I, I think that that's a distraction from his occupation. It's a distraction from what is his job. And I think it's just unhealthy, frankly. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just because I have a general disposition of net negative against social media because of individuals like, you know, Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg and all the uh, the quote-unquote lizard humans that run our social media
2: platforms. <laughs> um,
0: I will say one interesting part and like just content create because I I feel like most of us have to be sort of somewhat of a content creator in, you know, whatever kind of line of work you're in. But one interesting part I think that's happening is uh Draymond Green hosts his own podcast after games mm. now. And I think that, that is so fascinating from just where sports have gone or where where we're we coming from where we talked about you know journalists and stuff developing those those relationships and going into the locker room after a game is over—that's where you see the most passion, the most emotion, and that's where you, really a lot of great storytelling comes from. Jim Green, instead of going live with the media afterwards, instead owns his own media and puts mm-hmm. all of that emotion into a podcast. I think that that's brilliant versus yeah. you know just going on Twitter and putting out you know a, a player speak or a coach speak you know, we'll get, back, we'll, we'll get back at it next. Week. No one cares. I know some yeah. fans care, but, you know, people want substance. They want to know that you're passionate. And, of course, if you make it to the, the upper echelon of, of sports, you're somewhat passionate about, you know, that particular sport. But you would be surprised at, at how often I think players are reserved because they don't want to convey that passion, that emotion. And I think that Draymond Green kind of flipping the script and owning the passion, and owning his platform, and owning his own voice, and putting that out to the world, I think it's such a brilliant move, because then that's yeah. going to set him up, not only currently, but, you know, come the day that he retires and he's not able to play anymore, he still has that podcast, you know, that it's an owned media platform, unlike some of these other social media platforms, he owns his podcast, and so I think that that's a really interesting play that I would love to see. More athletes take advantage of because that's what that's what we want. That's why I think mm-hmm. you know with NASCAR you can rent the headsets and watch a race and hear the real communications that are going on. I think that hearing those real communications. I don't know that it would ever happen in the NFL, but being able to hear mm-hmm. like a would up quarterback or you know a mic'd up you know safety you know giving their in game commentary and you know shit talking and all that, fans would <laughs> eat that up. Talk about yeah. monetization opportunities. Like that right that's there. Like that's people got to take
3: passion. That's really yeah. interesting. And from a, from a strictly thinking about business, you know, I, the teams themselves would want to ride that somehow and monetize that somehow. But I'm not sure it, your your example with Draymond Green. It, it, he is he has created his own business of being a player slash media. Right. It's so it's not like. The team hired him. Under it's it's almost like they they outsourced his talent to work in their with on their club, and that's a different perspective of looking at things. And I, I mean, in the logistics industry, you know, if I've I've owned a few companies and been in, been a, an employee of companies as well. And you know, there there were rules, and you know, if you, if you wanted to tow the company line and say certain things and have a media person or a finance guy from New York want to talk to you about the ports or whatever the case may be, then you knew from the company you were with how to create that. Now, these people are still working for Jacksonville or whoever the case may be, but they're kind of creating a second business at the same time tucked under underneath of it i'm not sure how that develops i think you're right though i think it's a great idea i would certainly rather listen to mic'd up players than half of the color commentators out there yeah
2: god
0: right. oh if my we, god if we, if we, I, I don't yeah. know that the nfl would ever allow it and i'm honestly surprised that the nba has allowed it for you know for, for draymond to be able to do this or even at the team level i could see that being a provision in future contracts to prevent them from doing that because it does mess with the current hierarchy of the team media and then the team-approved journalists and broadcasters and just going down that sort of, I guess, media food chain. Uh, but owning your own platform, especially in a long-form format, then folks can go to that podcast and they can listen to his true, unfiltered insights and hear the full clips and not just the thirty-second sort of, you know, clip that's generated to create outrage, you know, uh, uh, among you know, folks on social media. I think that it's such a, it's a brilliant play for Draymond Green. I'm just hoping that more of it happens instead of, you know, leagues kind of seeing it. And I, I it's probably going to be the latter, but leagues are going to see it as, you know, a, a danger to the current hierarchy and probably prevent active players from doing
1: that. Yeah, and that's unfortunate because I would say the podcasting aspect of what Draymond Green is doing is actually healthier than going on and Twitter raging or doing something like that. I mean, it's 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 not only healthier for Draymond Green as an athlete to be able to voice his opinion in an unfiltered setting, but also I think it's healthier from the perspective of the fan. I, I you know I struggle when I when I watch as you you know to your point, Blythe, when I watch interviews, it's like. Okay, and we know what you're gonna say. Swipe on to the next one. Up, oh, he's saying the same thing. Swipe on to the next one. Up, oh, next week's gonna be a win. Okay, cool. Like we we get what the the canned responses is, and you know, frankly, from my perspective, I think it's antiquated. And I think if the NFL or other media organizations or other sports institutions actually adopted this. Um, almost progressive form of humanizing their players, then we wouldn't have some of the problems that we have. I mean, a prime example is Antonio Brown. Clearly, he has probably something going on outside of uh, his uh, emotional outbursts online, but his emotional outbursts online (laughs) were utilized to generate that hype that people are talking about. I mean, the guy ruined his career just by being a maniac. And that was not all of it was craziness. All of it was him like saying, if I do this, social media is going to give me this response. Like, I mean, the guy tried starting a rap career. So it's just it's I don't think that's beneficial for him as an individual, nor do I think it's beneficial for social media, nor do I think it's beneficial for the 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 teams, which are companies. Um so we got to pick, we got to pick your poison. Either you stick with the the corporatized aspect of things where everyone falls in line and repeats the mantra of what the Colts or the Jaguars, or the Chargers claim it is uh, that given week or you let the the players if they have exhibited some level of responsibility express things in a creative way, way like Draymond Green. I think the second is better frankly I see. but that's if because I'm a believer agree, of free market enterprise. <laughs> so, that's, that's <laughs> the unfortunate part. Yeah. So, but I don't know. It's it's just it's interesting, and I, I I've always wondered why there hasn't been a push to try and um, humanize a lot of things uh, in in the NFL specifically. I feel like just the corporatized uh, Coca-Cola flavor is is getting a little old. If if that makes sense.
0: I mean, it was definitely, like, it was a huge deal for the um, my my cleats, my cause, or my cause, my cleats, I think is the the way you actually pronounce it. But during the month of October, it's something like you can decorate, you can have your cleats customized Mm -hmm. to whatever charity that you want. And so it gives the players a little bit of an opportunity to get their personality out there, to share causes that they deem appropriate or that they're really Mm -hmm. passionate about. And that's where you see the NFL, you know, giving just a little bit and allowing the players to have, you know, some kind of a personality outside of just, you know, just having a helmet on and no one knows who these players are. and They're just sort of part of the machine that, that is the NFL. Yeah. Um, so that was a huge deal. I think that's only been around for a handful of years that that cause my cleats. So it remains to be seen on this. The NFL will allow, you know, players to have you know sort of that post game podcast instead of a post-game mm-hmm. press conference. I lean more towards them not having it because they want to control the message. They want to control the yeah. narrative. And a lot of teams, Roger Goodell works for the owners and the owners yeah. want to control that message as well. So I don't I I hope that we would have more players you know making roads and or making in-ways into having you know, a company-owned or brand-owned podcasts or, or videos that they can do right after games, and that removes the middleman. It removes the yeah, bias right. from journalists and broadcasters and even media that's trying to put you in a box and make well, you, you know, fall in line. And I, I think, there's think a, that there's so much more realism outside of that.
3: I think there's always a balance to be to be had, too. And, and you know, the priorities that a business has in, in any industry – are going to be typically not fully aligned with the individual sure. priorities of mm-hmm. those that work for that business. And I, I think that outside of the, the time you're working, in this case, on the field or in practice or whatever, that your time is your own. You can voice whatever opinion you want, and there are either positive or negative repercussions for that. The, and I think that the, the cleats thing is a, a, a very good uh, compromise, if you will, to allow some of this stuff to be expressed, the personalities to be expressed, in, in a way that's viewed by millions and millions of people because they're watching these games. And, but I, I do think it can, it can go too far, and the pendulum can swing in different directions, and, and it can turn off, ultimately, the people that are paying for everybody's bills, and that's you and I that are watching this stuff. So yeah. that's that's interesting because I I know that the NFL has struggled with that over the last few years with some of the the kneeling stuff and the, the a, a lot of the different things that have occurred whether you agree or disagree with that's beside the point the, well, the, I think the the point is is does it add to the business or not
1: well, uh, and yeah, I, I can see where you're coming from in that. I think the reason we have those, uh, I guess we could call them outbursts, because that's what I would see them as. Uh, and there's a lot. It's, I'm making this very condensed, so forgive me for being a little black and white here. But I think it's because the the players in some ways feel as if they're not treated as uh, anything more than just a, uh, a, a a check for the organization. Which, to to the organization's point, that is kind of what they are to some degree. With that being said, and, and I my argument would never trend into letting everyone have you know, uh, uh, a, a, a pulpit to yell from. But my argument would trend to, okay, this individual exhibited some sort of level of conduct throughout college and his early years of the NFL to be able to exhibit some level of responsibility to represent the organization and to be able to be creative enough to have that outlook, like kind of Draymond Green. And I think, frankly, if companies took the time to do that with not only their own employees, but with in, in situations like the NFL, with organizations, if they took the time to actually explore that, it would be a lot easier to do than I think they make it out to be i think that there's a there's a a knee-jerk reaction in specifically american society in which we need to either treat someone specifically as an adult at all points of time without any leniency or we treat them specifically as a child and when it comes to the nfl and professional sports in general we tend to go to the latter and i think that's why you have those instances of extreme outbursts like antonio brown or you know when juju ran onto the field and you know started dancing on the the logos like those distractions are it, they come from somewhere, and it could be a personality thing. It could also be them saying, I feel as if I'm a cog in a machine. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's just kind of how I observe it, and, and I think it would definitely give a lot more, not only a lot more interesting narratives to the NFL, but also a lot more humanity to the individuals behind the scenes, whether it comes to the organizations. That's why, uh, what, what's that uh, That thing on HBO, the... Um not two a days. The uh, the the, the hard documentary knocks. Hard Knocks. That's hard why it's knocks. so interesting because it gives an insight into that. And I think I hope we move in that direction where it gives some uh, granular substance to these organizations that has been sorely I mean, needed. We, for we, a long we all
3: time. love our entertain. We all love to understand both the good and bad of our entertainers. I mean, that's mm-hmm. you know, you look at Hollywood and, and half the stuff you don't really want to know <laughs> for sure. But but when you become famous enough. They're going to tell you what they think anyway, and that's I think that's true with with uh, football, with sports in general. And to Blythe's point earlier, it really depends on how good you are. You know, yeah. if you're if you're in the hierarchy of talent up there where you can command higher salary, you're also going to command more attention. You can also mm-hmm. say pretty much whatever you want and get away with, it. and that's fine. And so it's it's up to the co- it's up to the companies themselves to determine you know, what's good or bad for them. And when they think it's bad, they'll let those people go. And when they think it's the the balance of the dollars they're making overweights the the negative press they may get from one or two individuals, you know, that's, that's the decision they'll make.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not advocating for Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not advocating for Jamar, Jamarcus Russell when he was playing to have a uh, podcast. <laughs> so it's. I, I think this. This it does. It, it does exhibit some interesting potentiality for the NFL, though. I think that they should explore that. Frankly, And,
0: um, and it is also up to the player too. That to, yeah. If You are going to be doing a post game podcast. You better be playing well. If you're yeah. not playing well, maybe you should be podcasting, or maybe you should be doing you know all of these extra things that you know aren't you know. I, what is it? Uh, the Arizona quarterback that was kind of crucified for play—he needed to read the playbook instead of playing video games or something like
3: that. Yeah, yeah. I don't um, remember which guy that was, but that's yeah, probably enough.
2: Yeah, he's referencing. Yeah,
0: Kyler Murray. Yeah. So it's one of those situations where it's like, who cares how many how much video games he's playing? If he's good at his job, if he's good at it, but if he's not good at his job, that's where people are going. That's going to be the first thing that fans and journalists and media will question him about maybe you should be. And that's sort of the, the risk and the reward of when you create content and you tell people, you know, what you think and what you do and the reasons why you do it. Um, you, better have, you better be really talented, better be really good at your job, and then, you know, be able to accomplish these other tasks in addition to that main job. And I think that that's still really important. Otherwise, um, like I said, it's going to be the first thing that people come after you by. Like, stop doing the podcast if you want to, you know, have a double-double
3: so, or a triple-double or something. So, yeah. so the, the, the podcasting thing is real interesting to me that that he's doing and, and others are doing it. And uh, um, Eckler has his own podcast, fantasy podcast kind of thing too. And so other people are doing, not right after the games or anything like that, but that's, that's a little different. But I think that, you know, I, I, I turned on the TV the other day to watch, I think it was Thursday Night Football, and it was only on Amazon. Right. And so that streaming service has that now for at least part of the season and the the usage of the Internet and these platforms and these these powerful tech companies to they're all media companies in one shape or another for sure which is great but they also have a lot of technologies that haven't come to fruition yet maybe it's the on on field audio stuff you're talking about maybe we can all get an oculus and put it on our face and, and be on the field with these guys with the way some of the camera work is done <laughs> who knows it's uh, it's a uh, i'm not sure I'd want to be on the field be that be that that would be so but strange it and would, orwellian <laughs> it'd be strange but i'm telling you i'm telling you you know madden madden 35 or whatever the next 10 years from now Madden keeps doing what they're doing quarterback right Uh, well they
1: keep doing what they're doing they're uh, they're gonna lose the rights as they should because EA Sports is absolutely not representing the people who purchase their product in any way it's gotten really bad Um, on the topic of uh, entertainment from a video game perspective, but no, I do think that would make that, that would that would be interesting to try out. Just a whole cadre of individuals on one side of the the stadium with Oculus on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, they wouldn't
1: be in the stadium;
3: they'd be at their homes. To Blight's point earlier, they the 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 casual fan. It can now be an avid fan because they're, I'm just using this as an example off the top of my head, of course, but, but the fact is, is here we are sitting on online talking to each other and I mean, the internet's going in and out a little bit, so we need to get the 3.0 version of that. But, but the fact is, is a few years ago, I, I mean, this wasn't possible, you know, this. And so technology keeps changing very, very rapidly and it's getting better and better. And so these additional ways, and there's a lot of smart people out there thinking of ways to monetize these different things and, and make the, their end consumer, those that want to consume all this entertainment. And you you and I both, well, we all know that entertainment is it's freaking half our lives now. Every streaming yeah. service under the sun, everything we run into, every time you pick up your phone and look at it, there's something coming at you to entertain or inform or a combination of those. And I'm I'm all for that. I like technological changes and everything, but it's hard to see how far this will go and how um, ingrained this could be from a sports perspective for the casual fan to become avid again. Mm. Yeah. I, I
0: struggle with casual fans becoming avid fans. I don't know what that pack looks like. I think our attention because of all of these different things demanding our attention, our attention spans are actually dropping. And so when you have these instances like a an NFL game is, you know, typically, you know, is four quarters, of course, but how much of that time is actually spent playing is something ridiculous, like three minutes and thirty seconds of actual playing time. And so I think what we will see more of is just more fans choosing to be a fan in their own terms. You know I, I hear from countless people especially ones that used to come to our tailgate spot and now they just watch the game at home they you know they have their TV they have you know a 12 pack that costs you a know, dollar a beer instead of ten or fifteen dollars a beer at the game they don't have to deal with parking they don't have to deal with you know all of the other you know, stresses guess, of going to a game but they still miss the camaraderie because especially with the people that are watching the games from home like my, my brother in particular, he used to go, he's a season ticket holder along with my dad. Um, and he hasn't gone to the games. And he's, he picks up one or two games a year to go to me he doesn't go to every game. But during the away games, he wants us all to come over to his house because that's his opportunity to have that camaraderie. Right. But all of us are like, no, we just spent you know, our entire day down at the stadium tailgating and doing all the things that this is our break time to be able to watch the game from home. So I think that there's still that camaraderie missing from the at-home experience, and I think that that is probably the most important thing that brings sports fans together. Is that camaraderie that you know, yeah. no matter your, your your demographic or your your you know economic class, like everybody comes together to root for your team. And doing it in a stadium, and when your team is actually winning and competitive, there's nothing else like it. And I think that that is still going to be something that NFL teams are going to struggle with getting folks to the stadium. But once they get to the stadium, especially if the team is good, then I think that that is the winning formula: is to have a, a competitive team. Um, I I so the casual fan I still will I think will just increase because our attention spans are dropping because there's so much availability just to watch that you know three minute you know. Make a four minute video that's all the plays, and you don't spend your entire Sunday in order to get that same experience. But it's also going to be an experience that isn't in in nowhere compares to being there with your friends, your family, your football family, and cheering all together and screaming all together and crying. You know, that's a penalty or pass interference, or you know, all of those (laughs) different things that are involved in like sports fan culture. it's still the one sort of live environment that brings everybody together. And I just don't know yeah. that it, will, it can ever be replaced, no matter what technology is, is introduced.
3: Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that the, the message that I take from that is that, you know, you can have all the technologies in the world uh, to give us the benefit of being able to see things anywhere and do things from almost anywhere. But it can't replace the community of face to face interactions that that you have, especially in a large group like that It's all uh rooting in the same direction or or you know in different directions depending on who you're who you're rooting for but yeah i don't i I think you're right I think that's and that's part of what's missing from the workplace in general over the last couple of years with this you know all the stay at home kind of things and the non office and there's there's some changes to be created and made in the next few years to create a hybrid situation of this. And maybe, maybe that's what we're talking about here too. You're going to still have people that want to get together for that community interface to have that culture continue. And then you're going to have the more casual people that really just don't care about that anymore. Mm, so Yeah, I would agree. I think
0: it's definitely a hybrid approach that I mean, it's not just sports. It's really any, any industry that requires you to be in person it's embracing technology, but also, you know, fulfilling that desire for us just as a species, you know, our need to be a, to be social, to be surrounded by other people. I think that there's a way to do both, um, but I, I I think it's more in I think it's more evident in increasing the casual fan than maybe turning casual fans into avid fans. If that makes sense, I think more avid fans, especially if you've heard a lot of like losing seasons. Probably are more dangerously closer to either being in an insane asylum or just to being <laughs> a casual fan, or not watching yeah. all together. There are some people that I know that they just they don't they don't watch at all anymore, and I think that's also kind of heartbreaking. Like there's there's a reason why you know sports is the most one of the most successful industries. I think out of all of them is because it brings us together It creates that that camaraderie and it creates that special bond. Right. Um, not even you know with your own Team spans, like I can tighten you the, the relationships that you know we've built even with other fans, I and mean, with Great Waves, for example, everybody that works in the production area of Great Waves are all Titans fans. I five years ago, if you would have told me I would be working with a, a team of Titans fans, I would have burned my own house to the ground. Well, like, i just, crying like, would crying right have now. Never happened. Um, so to be able to, I guess, humanize. The other, the opposing team has been, uh, yeah, a little bit of a challenge. But I think for a lot of sports fans, they're not as crazy as I used to be, and maybe they kind of grow out of it a little bit. When you, I don't know, maybe find more things to do.
1: Right. Not, not everyone can successfully manage six fantasy teams. Okay. I mean, you're, you're in a tier above the rest.
0: I will say it's not successful.
1: no but that's no. when you come in and say i won every league i got every player i wanted and i ran the table that's when yeah i i don't know that's
3: that's still i'm still stuck on that six well I, six. I trust that you didn't Wild. pick andrew luck at any point that's all uh, i know Oh my god Dude, it was a <laughs> oh, foolproof well, I, well, I choice
0: name was go luck yourself so i didn't have that
3: oh, go yeah. luck yourself is that what you <laughs> yeah. had was yes. it your fantasy names
1: awesome yeah. great name great, yeah mine was great. out of luck yeah. Or well, oh, luck no. so, <laughs> so, Yeah, it was not good. It was not a good time. I blacked out that entire season, frankly. Just not good. I made so many moves and wow. I had to pay the league so much money for the moves because I just couldn't figure out how to get the team to go. It was bad. Yeah, it's depressing. Yeah. <laughs> well, was that the I, last
0: I, season you played?
1: Uh no no. I mean we're we're going we're going uh we're we're doing well this year. Um but but oh, okay. like so in this league yeah, I still play. Uh in this league though specifically, I'm still I'm on his team again. That was the last year where I wasn't on his team. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, by the way, I blame you, Bowl, for doing that because we were at we were in Vegas. Me? Every year we do our yes, you. Yeah, every year we yeah. were in every year in Vegas, we do our fantasy draft. And this was the most uh mm. strange top gun sequence of events. All the fantasy guys are in the pool playing volleyball as men do. And we were there playing <laughs> volleyball and he's talking with one of the guys who's been on the show uh we refer to him as the rooster and he was like you know what yeah i could win without this guy and you know he said okay we'll do it
3: and that's how it happened they were they were calling me oh, out they were calling me out saying it was all about you and i said Psh, i yeah. can win without it without was the wolf what was. are you talking about See, this is me and, and this is you that? and the bus pressure the from the fantasy the story league? wolf come on now <laughs> i don't remember yeah. I blacked it up and blacked it up I yeah remember. exactly don't remember at all. You know what, yeah. Blythe? This is this has been this has been terrific. You've got uh, more insights than I even thought you would have, and I got a feeling you probably have stories that that you've decided not to tell us, especially about how in the world you came up with this guy's gal thing. Because I, I always say it wrong. I say it well, wrong, and guys, I, luckily I, don't, all... type it right, I don't, don't type it wrong because I don't want to type it
0: wrong. That's not my site, <laughs> um, and I, I, I with
2: that site in particular. Um, I,
0: I, I, <laughs> unfortunately, I do not publish to it anymore, so it's, it's one of those things. I keep it optimized. I well, I see that. I, I'm totally lying. I actually just a month ago, so I, I wrote a, a book um, years ago, self-published, and just recently, as of this year, within the last few months, have added that content from the book onto the site. So I still will say that I, I it's still my baby. It's still my first blog, it's still my first website that led to so many, you know wonderful experiences and opportunities including the chance to cover my favorite team which i don't know if it, it, it was a blessing I, I don't want to say you know, it wasn't a blessing um it did affect my fandom in ways that i never thought that it would but i still feel like i was very yeah um truthful to the voice fan you know i, I on that show in particular i was very much um everybody else was a traditional journalist and they went through or not a traditional journalist but they were very, um, I, I would say they would toe the company company line, and right. they would mm-hmm. do the things that the Jaguars wanted them to do. I was speaking from the fan perspective. I wasn't sitting in the press box. I paid for my season tickets. I'm sitting in the fan, uh, sitting in the stands with the fans. I didn't go to practices because of why? When you're every twenty reporters are tweeting out the same video clip, or tweeting out the same stat, or the same you know media friendly you know uh, PR right. statement. I didn't see a need in that um but that's where you know the, the, the voice for the female fan uh, that's where i really put a strong priority in both radio and the blog itself and i'm still like I'll, I'll never get rid of that blog. it will always be active it will always be live i do think the name now is a little problematic um, which is why i kind of yeah. you know geared well, a little I, bit away from um from from that Side of know, that side it's of my second side favorite point. site.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I,
0: I, it's, 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 it's
1: it, both of them. They're bookmarked. They're right next to each other. <laughs> and I just flip a that. coin.
3: <laughs> yeah, thanks for you know, very interesting. You know, you know what's funny <laughs> is, is both the, the sports industry that you've been in and now the logistics transportation industry you've been in needs more female voices absolutely positively. Yeah. I just got back from my Anna conference and, and while there was uh, many more women there than there have been in the past. And we finally have been physically there from the last two years, it, it still needs to, to grow considerably. And, and it, Hey, we can't thank you enough for, for coming on for, I was going to say a few minutes, but it's been a little longer than a few minutes to kind of yeah. give us your insights and everything. Where can, where can our viewers and, and listeners, you know, uh, see you, get in touch with you, see what you do out there on the, on the platforms?
0: Sure. So I, I know you know my main career focus is on um, content within the supply chain and the logistics industry. Um, but I really try to come at it from a marketer's perspective. And so for folks who may not know, marketers in this space have so much to keep up with. They have to keep up with not only just traditional marketing strategies, but they also have to keep up with the the insane amount of news that we have around, you know, logistics and supply chain. So I try to make content for, you know, that marketer who has so many other things, or that entrepreneur has so many other things on their plate. They might not know what maritime shipping is. They might not know what LTL shipping is. But my conversations are for, I, I would, say, I don't want to say like at fifth grade level, but I I'd like to, you know, sort of position myself as asking those fifth grade level questions to understand how it fits into the greater world, the greater, you know, I sort of sort of geopolitics and um, diplomacy and economic policy and all that, you know, starting at a really like baseline level. Mm -hmm, So if you like that baseline into, you know, I guess sort of more of the higher tier educational level of content, that's what I prioritize. And you can find a lot of that content or any of my social channels over at everythingislogistics.com.
2: That's
3: fantastic that is fantastic and and i've been on that site a number of times and i've seen what you do on on Freightways with Cyberly and and i've been uh, it's been a pleasure to have you a guest on on my my little tiny podcast as well on the logistics side so we can't thank you enough for for coming on and and sharing with us and and wolf do you have anything else to add there uh yeah you know thanks again for tuning in uh
1: Blythe we totally appreciate you we would love to do it again I think there's plenty to talk about within the football sphere as well as the social media sphere and the marketing sphere um and uh again just a reminder to our viewers if you like what you hear if you like what you see go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram on YouTube make sure to check out Blythe's content as well we have episodes every week and we can't wait to see you guys next week Thanks for listening to the Wolf and Bull podcast with your host, the Wolf and Bull. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all of the latest from the Wolf and Bull, you can tune in via our weekly episodes available on nearly every major listening platform. You can also follow us on Instagram at the Wolf and Bull. You can follow us on YouTube at the Wolf and Bull podcast and at our website, thewolfandbull.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next
2: time.